Welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Jeff Krasno. Many of you may receive my weekly Sunday Commusing article, where I address a breadth of issues from the spiritual to the socio-political. And on occasion, I will also record an audio version of these articles and release it here as a bonus episode. If you'd like to receive my weekly article, sign up at onecommune.com. And you can follow my regular exhortations on Instagram at Jeff Krasno. So without further delay, here's this week's commusing titled Everything in Moderation. I've been with Skylar for 34 years, and she's been with me for 32. This threadbare joke has been a dinner party staple for decades. Now, there is a kernel of truth to this old yarn. You see, I considered us an item a good long while before Skylar did, and we dated for two years prior to indulging in any pleasures of the flesh. We visited each other's families for holidays, we smooched a bit, we even shared a bed, but there were no visas issued to travel south of the border. The chivalry wasn't quite dead yet in the late 80s, and Skyther was hell-bent, or in this case, heaven-bent, on retaining her chastity until completing 20 solar orbits with Job-like fealty and only minor extracurricular dalliances, I suffered through my late teens with the bluest of balls. I began to refer to Skylar's private area as the kingdom of God, not just for its sacredness, but because there was more chance of a camel passing through the eye of a needle than a rich man entering therein. Matthew 19.24 More than once, I questioned why a self-identified libertine had fallen for such a Puritan. But of course, you never fall on purpose. I endured this imposed monasticism stoically. On occasion, I donned my Boston College sweatshirt colored saffron and maroon and prostrated before her like a samnyasin. But otherwise, I practiced forbearance, and in the end, like Job, I had the three loveliest daughters in all the land. Asceticism has played a central role in myriad religious and philosophical traditions. In the pursuit of redemption or salvation, the practitioners of this grim philosophy abandon sensuality and lead an abstentious lifestyle. They posit that the sublimation of earthbound pleasures begets a more spiritually enlightened life In a manner, the ascetics yearn to cheat death. The body, or anything that could be perceived with our five senses, is trapped in a world of location and form, destined for decay. Canoodling with the soul, however, promises something eternal. Pragmatics argue that the default condition of humanity is suffering. Subsequently, the endurance of self-imposed torment inures one to a life of woe. There is some sense to this idea, and it has been shown that short-term exposure to low doses of voluntary suffering confers beneficial psychological and physiological results. I will write about eustress in a future article. However, 
Voluntary stress should not be confused with chronic suffering or self-immolation. After years of austerity that often include eating a mere single grain of rice per day, an emaciated Siddhartha Gautama eschewed abstemiousness for a middle way between asceticism and hedonism. The virtues of temperance and self-control may be the pious evangelical cousins of moderation, as if its mother married a dubious tattooed urbanite. And moderation can, on the surface, appear limp and conciliatory, like a lettuce wrap. However, as I survey the current social landscape, I believe the middle way may be the most radical place to be. It requires significant self-awareness, the humility to be wrong, and an understanding that the truth is generally multi-layered and nuanced, if a little less exciting than the overheated extremes. Now, personally, I see moderation as the bringing together of counterparts. This understanding is more concomitant with Eastern religions that consider the universe as an organism emerging out of opposites symbolized by the image of the yin-yang. Taoism and Buddhism, for example, don't give credence to the idea of the world as a construct bolted together by a cosmic carpenter. Instead, there is a universal logos, a foundational intelligence of existence that can be understood as an evolutionary process of moderation. This logos is embedded in nature, which seeks coherence out of the coincidence of opposites that innately occur. The feminine and masculine intertwine to create new life. Positive and negative charges dance in repulsion and attraction to produce electricity. Atoms, a fundamental structure of the universe, are balanced by positively charged protons and negatively charged electrons. Photosynthetic life, plants, create oxygen and glucose out of carbon dioxide and water. And non-photosynthetic life, you and me, use oxygen and break down glucose to create carbon dioxide and water. The tiger kills the gazelle. The faster gazelles pass down their genes. The tiger kills less gazelles until she gets faster too. Everywhere you look in natural systems, hidden in plain sight, is an elan towards coherence. A personal moderation practice may be seen in a similar light. Like the Stoics, we can act in accordance with nature and mimic its ability to bring opposing forces into balance. I suggest four basic principles of moderation. One, avoid excesses and extremes. Two, remain centered and balanced. Three, foster cohesion and cooperation. And four, find a middle path between hedonic desire and austerity. You can apply these principles to personal consumption habits relating to food, alcohol, sugar, social media, and consumerism. You can also overlay these principles atop opinion. For example, you can rigorously examine your own viewpoints and identify areas where they have, perhaps imperceptibly, become extreme. It's not that potent feelings are not at times justified, but are those passions anchored in the true nature of an event? Or are they outgrowths of your biased judgment of it? 
In this time of extreme political rancor and binary opposition, the only way out of fanaticism is for each of us to make a Herculean effort toward finding common ground. The Stoics embraced four primary and interconnected virtues. Moderation, the bringing together of opposites. Courage, vulnerability, and self-sacrifice for the greater good. Justice, the application and promotion of fairness and wisdom, the ability to act, leveraging knowledge, experience, and understanding. Humanity's greatest projects have been predicated on our unique special ability to cooperate flexibly at scale. When we have the courage to compromise, we unify moderation with justice. The merger of these three virtues begets wisdom. Newton's third law of motion posits, to every action, there is always an opposed and equal reaction. Now we must be careful not to make false equivalencies here, but if we're brutally honest, we need to ask, did the misguided cause to abolish the police propel the false boogeyman of critical race theory? Did the feebly researched demonization of Kyle Rittenhouse by one side drive the utterly absurd exaltation of him by the other? Is dystopic Trumpism a reaction to neoliberal globalism? Is excessive COVID fear peddling and COVID denialism different sides of the same coin? It's hard to temper our tempers because if we did, then we would have to accept that the best parts of the arguments made by those who are pro-choice and those who are pro-life are both morally unassailable. Instead, we pull on opposite ends of a fraying epistemological shoelace, fattening the edges while oblivious to the precarity of the thinning strand in the middle that safeguards the integrity of the whole. But if we commit to moderation, the bringing together of extremes, then perhaps we can address the ground conditions of our societal ills, water the roots and not the leaves. The task at hand is to focus on processes which, even if imperfect, inch us down the arc of the moral universe. No one wants a 17-year-old out on the street at night with an AR-15. And short of utopia, no one should want a world without a well-trained, non-discriminatory police force. No one wants 650,000 annual abortions. No one wants a society where three people own more collective wealth than the bottom 50%. No one wants a world with billions of people, cows, chickens, and pigs, and no other animals. No one wants a grocery stocked with sugar, corn, wheat, soy, rice, and no other vegetables. We don't want a flat world with peaks at the edges. We want a bell curve. We want a big middle class, a bustling Main Street, a local newspaper, a small jazz club, a neighborhood farmer's market, abundant biodiversity, a congress of cooperation, and a multiplicity of colors, creeds, and ideas. When we are true to our nature, we want coherence. We want beauty. We want the orange alpenglow of days tryst with night. We want the sun's brilliance striking a pregnant moon, casting a middle path across the ocean's rippled swell. Well, now that I have few friends left, or right, 
Most nights, I sit down for a sensible salad and a half glass of Cabernet. I must finish eating by seven so I can start my fasting clock and digest for a full three hours prior to bedtime. I need to hit my natural melatonin window and leave time for a restrained, if improbable, shag with my prudish love of 34 years. Otherwise, I will miss out on the autophagy of deep sleep. Such is a moderate life. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Commune Podcast. Feel free to drop me a line any old time at jeffk at onecommune.com. And if so inclined, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's all from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.